This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Hello and welcome to the program once more. In the last few programs, in the context of developing bodhicitta, that mind that wishes to attain enlightenment for the sake of all living beings, we've been considering the love of a parent for a child. This is part of the meditation called Six Causes and One Effect, in which the meditator first sees all beings as his or her mother, remembers their kindness, and from the wish to repay that kindness, develops great love and great compassion. That love and compassion leads to the resolve to attain enlightenment to benefit all these kind mother-sentient beings, and so comes the one effect, bodhicitta. Ajahn Brahm, the famous Australian monk, tells a wonderful story, not about the love of his mother, but of his father. When I was around the age of 13, he writes in his book, Opening the Door of Your Heart, my father took me aside and told me something that would change my life. The two of us were alone in his beaten-up old car in a side street of one of the poorest suburbs of London. He turned to me and said this, Son, whatever you do in your life, know this. The door of my house will always be open to you. I was only a young teenager at the time. I didn't really understand what he meant, but I knew it was something important so I remembered it. My father would be dead three years later. When I became a monk in northeast Thailand, I thought over those words of my dad. Our home at the time was a small council flat in a poor part of London, not much of a house to open a door into. But then I realized this was not what my father really meant. What was lying within my father's words, like a jaw wrapped in a cloth, was the most articulate expression of love that I know. Son, whatever you do in your life, know this. The door of my heart will always be open to you. My father was offering unconditional love, no strings attached. I was his son and that was enough. It was beautiful. It was real. He meant it. It takes courage and wisdom to say those words to another, to open the door of your heart to somebody else, with no ifs. Perhaps we might think they would take advantage of us, but that's not how it works, not in my experience. When we are given that sort of love from another, it's like receiving the most precious of gifts. You treasure it, keep it close to your heart, lest it be lost. Even though at the time I only partially understood my dad's meaning, even so, I wouldn't dare hurt such a man. If you give those words to someone close to you, if you really mean them, if they come from your heart, then that person will reach upwards, not downwards, to meet your love. Now, of course, there's something quite idealistic about this story. Ajahn Brahm's father was able in his own way to let his son know how much he loved him. But I wonder how many parents could come even that close to communicating to their children about how they really feel about them. We often have troubled relationships with our parents, 
because we don't really understand them, nor they us, and we don't take the time to clear our lines of communication. Yet, beneath all the fretting, our love for each other may be as great as Ajahn Brahm's father was for his son. In any case, if we don't know, then in our work to develop bodhicitta, it is to our benefit to assume that our parents really did love us that much, and all they did for us came out of their great love, even though it may have seemed at times that they disliked us with a passion. Now why do I say that? Well, because if we are to see all beings as our mothers, but then remember how badly our parent of this life misunderstood or treated us, we are unlikely to see much good in anyone we label parents. Even though we don't know how we were cared for in previous lives, the mind will match those lives with our current treatment, and we may come to think all parents were jerks to us. How can we then wish to repay their kindness or to develop great love and compassion? So it's better to remember all our parents' kindnesses and play down the many disagreements we may have had with them. Even if it is difficult to remember their love, Tipton Children recommends that we remember the awful time the mother has to go through just during pregnancy and birth. For nine months, she's increasingly uncomfortable until it becomes difficult even just to sit down. And then comes the labor pains in the birth. Tupton Children says, It's called labor for a good reason. It's the hardest work you're ever going to do. You're exhausted afterwards, and then there's this baby that you still look at with total delight. No matter what you went through physically and how painful it was, the baby is always a delight. Now imagine that. I wouldn't go through anything painful and then look at somebody else happily afterwards. Think of all the discomfort your mother went through being pregnant, having her body balloon out, how that must be very uncomfortable, and she had to watch what she ate. She couldn't move. She had that pregnant waddle, and then the labor pains, the whole thing. Think about our mother going through that for us and giving us the body that we have. That's an incredible amount of kindness right there. Of course, for most of us, the mother's kindness doesn't stop there. There are all the dirty nappies, the sleepless nights, the crying and the endless worry. The mother feeds the baby, makes sure it's always warm and comfortable, teaches it how to talk, how to walk, takes the child on outings, gives it gifts. The list is endless. If it wasn't for my parents, I would never have had the good education that has allowed me to do the many things I would not otherwise have been able to do. Right from kindergarten to getting a degree, my parents were always behind me. And even when I wanted to travel, my father helped me with the funds. It was due to his kindness that I saw so much of the world. We had our differences, and it could be very hard at times. But when I think of all that he and my mother did for us, it's obvious that it would be very difficult to repay such kindness. Now, repaying the kindness is the next step in the six cause and one effect meditation. But before we continue, let's set our motivation as we usually do. Now, as we're talking about bodhicitta, let's make that our motivation and direct all the positive potential we will develop from this program to gaining enlightenment for the benefit of all beings everywhere. But if you can't do that, at least think that you have joined the program for your own liberation. Thank you. 
The more deeply we think of all that our parents out of their great concern and love have done for us, the more we may question how we can ever repay that kindness. The Buddha himself, in the Sutra of Deep Kindness of the Parents and the Difficulty in Repaying It, indicated how hard it would be. In the extract I'm going to recite, he talks about kalpas. Now, the various explanations about kalpas, and I'm not sure which he talks about here, but one explanation lists four types of kalpa. The regular kalpa is approximately 16 million years. A small kalpa, about 16 billion years. A median kalpa is roughly 320 billion years, and a great kalpa is some 1.28 trillion years. The sutra quotes the Buddha as saying, If there were a person who carried his father on his left shoulder and his mother on his right shoulder until his bones were ground to powder by their weight as they bore through to the marrow, and if that person were to circumambulate Mount Sumeru for a hundred thousand kalpas until the blood that flowed from his feet covered his ankles, that person would still not have repaid the deep kindness of his parents. If there were a person who during the period of a kalpa fraught with famine and starvation, sliced the flesh of his own body to feed his parents, and did this as many times as there are dust motes, as he passed through hundreds of thousands of kalpas, that person would still not have repaid the deep kindness of his parents. If there were a person who, for the sake of his parents, took a sharp knife and cut out his eyes and made an offering of them to the Tathagatas, and continued to do that for hundreds of thousands of kalpas, that person still would not have repaid the deep kindness of his parents. If there were a person who, for the sake of his father and mother, used a sharp knife to cut out his heart and liver so that the blood flowed and covered the ground, and if he continued in this way to do this for hundreds of thousands of kalpas, never complaining about the pain, that person still would not have repaid the deep kindness of his parents. If there were a person who, for the sake of his parents, took a hundred thousand swords and stabbed his body with them all at once, so that they entered one side and came out the other, and if he continued in this way to do this for hundreds of thousands of kalpas, that person still would not have repaid the deep kindness of his parents. If there were a person who, for the sake of his parents, beat his bones down to the marrow and continued in this way to do this for hundreds of thousands of kalpas, that person still would not have repaid the deep kindness of his parents. If there were a person who, for the sake of his parents, swallowed molten iron pellets and continued in this way to do this for hundreds of thousands of kalpas, that person still would not have repaid the deep kindness of his parents. So, for all the graphic imagery, you can see it's extremely difficult to repay the kindness of our parents. Nevertheless, thinking about their kindness to us, we can generate the wish to do so. Now remember that we're not only thinking about the parents of this life. Of course, we use the kindness of the present parents or parent surrogates to understand how very kind they were to us. But that kindness was shown by all our parents in all our previous lives. And as we said in previous programs, we've had infinite lives and we've had infinite parents. There's not one being that we can point to and say, that being has never been my parent. So now we're thinking of all beings as our very kind parents. And remembering their kindness, we can wish to somehow show our appreciation. 
goes some way to repaying that kindness. Well, how can we? All beings want happiness and don't want suffering. So we can start by developing the wish and intention that all beings have happiness and its causes and don't have suffering and its causes. In Buddhism, the first, that all beings have happiness and its causes, is defined as love. The wish that all beings are free from suffering and its causes is compassion. So here we begin by generating love for all those beings our mothers and fathers. This is not the love for any particular individual or individuals. It's a love that focuses on all sentient beings and it is known as heartwarming love. That is why in the first part of this six cause and one effect meditation we concentrate on first developing equanimity for all beings and then seeing as them all as our mothers, remembering their kindness and the wish to repay it. The object of our love must not just be those who are close to us, our family, partner and so on, but all beings. As Tupton Chodron says, to see sentient beings as lovable, we have to see them as kind and we have to see ourselves as related to them. We have to see that they are equal in wanting happiness and not wanting suffering, equal in their relationship to us. We can't jump, just jump in with some kind of intellectual or idealistic goodwill and say, I love everybody. That's what we do when we write Christmas cards and when we were children in grade school. We saw how long that lasts because it's only an intellectual love. As soon as the other kid tattled behind our back, we didn't love them anymore. Or as soon as the grown-up tattled behind our back, when we're grown-ups, we don't love them anymore, do we? We thought we outgrew childhood. We just developed a different vocabulary for that. People don't tattle behind our backs when they're adults. They just say untrue, malicious stuff to ruin our reputation, right? Same thing as tattling, but we make it sound more sophisticated. We have to be able to see beings as lovable and be able to overlook some of their defects and the possible harm that they've given us in order to generate heartwarming love. Our mind is very accustomed to seeing people's faults. We're super sensitive and we note down every single tiniest harm they possibly could have given us and we're very easily offended. They didn't respect me and asked me to do this. They didn't respect me and told me to do that. They didn't honor me and recognize my good work. They didn't say thank you. They didn't say you're welcome and they don't appreciate how much I did. <laughs> We're so willing to be offended at the slightest little twist of anything. We're always looking out for how people mistreat us and how they don't appreciate us, and so on and so forth. That kind of mind pays attention to the slightest injustices that we've dreamed up. Most of the injustices on the part of other beings, by and large, are unintentional and don't mean us any harm, but we make it into harm. In addition, even when they maybe did have some kind of harmful intent because they were confused and suffering, we noted those things in stone. Remember those situations, especially with the people we're closest to, so that the next time we have an argument, we have some ammunition to use against them. We kind of gloss over it, but next time there's a fight. Well, remember five months ago on January 19 at 7.30, you said this and that to me, and we don't let it go. That kind of habit of mind in which we're always seeing sentient beings as blameworthy and defective, that habit 
That judgmental mind is a big impediment on the path, and it's the total opposite of this heartwarming love. Tipton Children then goes on to say, That's why we spend so much time thinking that other beings have been our parents and remembering their kindness. How they gave us this body, how they took care of us, how they taught us to tie our shoes and brush our teeth, how they gave us an education, and how they put up with us when we were such bratty kids. They put up with us when we were teenagers and even worse. How they put up with us as adults when we still didn't move out of the house or when we still were bringing our dirty laundry home for them to do. How we neglected them at this point or at that point or expected them to do this or that for us. Really, think about everything our parents have done for us, what they've put up with and how they've continued to give us love and support. It's very touching. When we think that all living beings have been like that to us, we naturally wish to repay that and begin to see other living beings in beauty. Instead of paying attention to the few times we had difficulties with other beings, we pay attention to all the tremendous benefit that we've received from them. It's very, very important. It's the same kind of thing as appreciating what our spiritual teachers have done for us instead of always picking at their faults. It's like anything in life. We can look at its good qualities or we can look at what we don't like. Depending on what we focus upon influences our feelings. That's why it's important to change what we focus on and develop a mind that looks for the good qualities and looks for the good in situations. It's like seeing the glass half empty and the glass half full. We don't realize that we would see that the glass is not just half full, it's very full if we just stopped looking at the half empty part. She then talks about the prisoners that she's worked with and how much love they have for their mothers, even though the mothers may not have been all that great. She says, They've usually had pretty rotten upbringings, often abuse and neglect as children, but they love their mothers dearly because even though as children they may have acted in a very negligent or criminal way, their mother's always hung by them, has always been there. No matter what they have done, their mother's always been there. They have this very deep regard for their mother. When they are in prison, they really stop looking at the harm or what their mother hasn't done for them. They don't say, my mother hasn't visited in five months. Instead they say, my mother visited me last month. Even though she hasn't visited in five months, they don't get bummed out about that. They just feel so happy that she did visit. Instead of looking at what their mother didn't do, they look at what their mother did do, and then the warmth comes up. Now, in January last year, a lady by the name of Lynn Hamilton started up a support group for mothers with sons in prison and called it just that, Mothers with Sons in Prison. The goal was to reach out and extend emotional encouragement as well as spiritual support to hurting, broken-hearted mothers through the various means of communication and upcoming support groups. On their website, some mothers have written of their experiences, writing to or visiting their sons. One such mother's story has a bearing on what Tupton Children has just said. The mother writes, It had been four months since I'd seen my son. I'd talked with him numerous times on the telephone, and we exchanged a few photos. Finally he called me, and I told him what I knew he wanted to hear. I'm coming to see you, I said. 
I arrived at the prison filled with anticipation and entered into the large reception area. I stood quiet at the end of a long line. The stream of other anxious visitors seemed to go on for miles. Soon I entered the small room where I underwent an uncomfortable physical search. Afterwards, I grabbed my car keys and my roll of quarters, the two precious things I was allowed to bring into the mating room. I walked down a hall that seemed to go on for a mile. Eventually, I entered a large room filled with well-used tables and chairs. On the left side of the room stood several vending machines that housed sandwiches, chips, candy and sodas. I sat at a table near the door and watched for my dear son's face to appear in the small window of a large metal door that separated us. When I saw him, I stood up and smiled. My heart was pounding in my chest. My mind spoke private words. There's my little boy. My son stood behind the glass watching my every move. He was waiting patiently for the guard to let him come to me. He moved towards me as though it was his last chance to see me. I sprinted towards him and we wrapped our arms around each other. My son pulled me close and dropped his head on my shoulder and buried his face in my chest. Humility broke his stance, but I could feel his heart's every beat and a cry that poured from his soul. Ma, don't let me go, he said. A mother's hug is one of the most important treasures. And then there's another story on the same page about a mother writing to her boy in prison. And this is how that goes. My mind has been on my son all day. After a warm shower, I grab my writing pad, a pen, a few pictures of my family and jump in the middle of my bed. I position myself comfortably against the pillows and begin to write a letter to my son. I pour my heart and soul onto the paper. I tell my son all the things that had happened during the past week. I hope that he will be happy to receive the stories. I mention every little detail so that he can picture the week's activities. I describe how his sister has been acting and what she's been wearing. I also tell him a few silly jokes, wishing that he will laugh. I feel that every detail counts. I tell him how proud I am of him because he's doing so well and taking good care of himself. I offer up hope and remind him to focus on the light at the end of the tunnel. In my closing statements, I write a prayer for my son to recite before he goes to bed. I reference a couple of encouraging scriptures and where to find them in his personal Bible. God still loves you even as much as I do and more, I say. I sign my letter with kisses and hugs. I scent my letter with my favorite perfume and place it along with two family photographs in the envelope. I draw a smiley face on the back of the envelope and curl my lips up. I feel extreme satisfaction in sending my son another letter filled with my unconditional love for him. I know better than to remind him of why he's in prison. I see no purpose in writing a letter of condemnation. My letters are meant to provide my son with a sense of safety and security. I strongly believe that mother's letters are to be filled with hope, joy, peace, laughter and love. This ties in nicely with Tupton Children's reminder to us that we should be trying to train our minds to see all beings as beautiful, as having good qualities, which we do easily enough with our friends, but then it easily turns into attachment. With attachment, we want our friends to be happy and be free from suffering because they are nice to us, she says. 
or because they are related to us, or because they stick up for us, or because they give us presents. They boost us up when we're down, and they do this and that for us, and that's attachment. We can see very clearly that as soon as the person stops doing those things, our feeling of fondness towards them changes. The benefit of seeing that they've been our parents in previous lives and remembering their kindness is that the feeling of wanting to repay that kindness doesn't change when their behavior in this life changes. How they treated us and what they did for us in previous lives as our parents still remains. We all know that sometimes relationships go through difficult points. If we remember the kindness of the person, we can still have that sense of fondness and connection with them, and we don't just boot them out of the realm of who we care for, simply because of what's happening right now, what they did or didn't do right now. This is something that's very practical. <laughs> we have a little bit of work to do with our relationships, don't we? One of the big things we need to do is to begin to let go of grudges and all the things we've stockpiled from the past, all the wrongs that people have done us and how hurt we feel. We need to let go of the negative impressions that we have towards certain people and remember that these people have been our parents in a previous life. They changed our diaper, they fed us, and they gave birth to us in this very unconditioned way that parents help their children. We need to remember that no matter what they have done this lifetime, we've had this tremendously deep connection with them in the past. We were totally dependent on them, and they came through for us because we lived. So there is some basis of trust and goodwill. That doesn't mean we have to trust that person the same way in this life, or act the same way towards them in this life. We act according to different roles and things, different situations. Yet in our heart, we can still have that same feeling of connection and goodwill towards them. For me, this has been very healing. I remember a while back when there were some really difficult things going on with someone, some very painful things being said, and my mind felt totally blah towards this person. I wondered how I was ever going to deal with them. I started meditating that they were my parent in a past life, and they used to hold me when I was a baby, feed me, teach me to talk, and so on. When I saw that this person was more than what that present relationship was, and that there had been this kind of tenderness and gentleness before, it began to change the whole way I looked at them in this life. I began to see that who they are in this life, or how my present relationship was with them, was just a very fleeting experience, a very fleeting appearance that was dependent on the conditions in this life. In the past, there was this whole other way of relating to them, and that in the future, there was this possibility of being close and being affectionate. So at least from my heart, my side, I should not continue to hold a grudge against them, and instead have a sense of goodwill, knowing that the relationship could change. I think it's very important to see how our relationships in this life are generally as Tupton Children describes, a very fleeting experience. When we're in the middle of it, a relationship seems so fixed, almost solid. We can even think it will stay like it is forever. But think about all your relationships so far in this life. Most of them are now over, aren't they? And even one relationship can go through so many incarnations over its duration. That actually proves 
that if we work at it, we can develop a sense of goodwill for all beings. So thinking of them as our kind parents has a great benefit for us. And we'll have to leave the discussion there, for now time is up. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll do so again next week. Please dedicate any positive potential from the program to the enlightenment of all living beings. Goodbye. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.